Hey everybody, this is the man on fire, John Sablon of johnsablon.com, and I welcome you to another segment of True Faith Real Talk, where we talk about real issues through the eyes of faith. Now today's segment, we're going to be focusing on masculinity, mission, and aestheticism. And my guest for today's segment uh, is a man who all of those elements are a big part of his life. Uh, he's a husband, he's a father of six, he's an author, a speaker, and a writer, and is currently the director of outreach uh, and mission for uh, Word on Fire Apostolate, most of us are familiar with, uh, who uh, its founder, Bishop Barron, um, reaches many hearts uh, through evangelization. So I just want to welcome to the show, uh, Jared Zimmer. Hey, Jared. Good to be here, man. How you doing, yeah, my man? Good to meet you. Yeah, yeah, likewise. Thank you for joining us today. So maybe you can um, give a little bit of background for some of my viewers who may not know who you are about uh, kind of the things I just highlighted in your bio, but kind of who you are, what about you you want us to know, um, obviously your role with uh, Word on Fire Ministries and kind of what drives drives you every day and the things that are near and dear to your heart. Before we get into the topic of masculinity, what that means from a Catholic perspective, mission and how you're approaching it in, in your everyday life, and of course your role at Word on Fire, and then of course this funny thing called aestheticism that some people really have forgotten about. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so I, I was, uh, I'm a Texas boy, born and raised, and um, I, I grew up in a pretty Catholic family. Uh, my mother actually converted to Catholicism whenever she, whenever I was about six or seven years old. And, um, you know, went to Catholic school, Catholic grade school, Catholic high school. Uh, but my, really, my, my number one concern during all that time was sports. Um, and I basically, I, I, in my high school years, I received an injury, and that brought me into a love of bodybuilding and powerlifting, because the idea of continuing to play was, was over at that point. But Really, my, my faith didn't become very important to me until my college years. Um, I had an opportunity to go down to Mexico City and had a pretty profound conversion uh, down there. And around the same time, it goes right into our topic today of, uh, you know, I was trying to understand what does it mean to be a man today. Um, I was living kind of the, the typical college lifestyle, and um, it really wasn't making me happy. Um, and so I kind of fed into the lies that, uh, you know, power, pleasure, and money was what's going to make me happy and unfortunately it wasn't and so I kind of started to seek into what does it mean to be a man uh, and right around the same time that's when I had an opportunity to go down to Mexico City and, and kind of receive a, a conversion at that at that point um, but I you know I, I actually my undergrad is in kinesiology um, and I have a minor in Spanish as well um, I love sports I absolutely love the fitness world uh, but as I mentioned I really specifically kind of focused in on bodybuilding and powerlifting I competed in both a little bit uh, even now, I still do some martial arts as well. I uh, do Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu and, and boxing, and still lift um, a lot. But then uh, my, I have a master's in theology from Holy Apostles College and Seminary out in Connecticut. Um, I met my wife in college, uh, my sophomore year of college, and her and I have now been married for going on 11 years. And uh, we have six kids, so we've been pretty much pregnant the entire time, <laughs> uh, 11 years. And um, you know, I, and prior to going to Word on Fire, I actually worked for a uh, Catholic uh, parish out here in Texas, uh, decently large parish, about 25, 2,600 families as the director of evangelization and catechesis for uh, the adult ministry. And so that included you know, RCIA, uh, family life ministry, annulments, everything that is involved in adult uh, catechetical ministry. Um, I was there for a little over three years, and uh, then about a year and four months ago, Bishop Barron gave me a call and offered me a job at Word on Fire. 
Um, I've been involved with Word on Fire for about four or five years now, actually. The, the CEO, Father Steve Bruno, uh, is um, a huge lover of, of weightlifting and bodybuilding and all that. He's a, a powerlifter himself and bodybuilder himself. And uh, my first book actually connected us through, through Facebook. And uh, we happened to meet at a conference out here in Arlington, Texas. We had a uh, pull-up contest um, that he actually wiped the floor with me uh, on that one. So that was, uh, <laughs> I think his body weight had something to do with that compared to mine. But, uh, but yeah, so from there we, we grew a pretty sincere friendship. And Bishop Barron invited me out to Mundelein Seminary a few times to, to speak to the seminarians um, about these kind of topics, about asceticism, about masculinity, uh, a lot of the problems that guys are facing today and how to evangelize through asceticism, how to evangelize men through authentic spirituality uh, that, are, that is more geared towards the masculine. Um, and then so from there, now I'm the, the director of outreach and mission at, at Word on Fire. And if you've been following Bishop Barron for the past roughly six months to a year, he's been talking a lot about the idea of Word on Fire moving towards more of the idea of a movement. Um, you know, the church really needs something to approach this problem of the rise of the unaffiliated today. About a quarter of the United States is now unaffiliated with religion uh, in general. So within that, you have atheists, you have agnostics, you have people that just don't care, you know, a lot of different uh, uh, demographics within it. Uh, but really what he wants to see Word on Fire do is somehow um, garner a movement of people that can effectively evangelize that demographic, go after the, the unaffiliated in the ethos of Word on Fire. So he hired me to start seeing the concrete steps towards that. Uh, and later this year, we're going to start launching some stuff that, that is geared towards it. And we're really front-ending the formation aspect of it, really forming people in the Word on Fire ethos, uh, and through that, creating communities of people that uh, can pray together. We still have retreats and the like. Um, and then a lot of future plans as well. If you if you pick up his latest book, uh, to, light a part, to Light a Fire Upon the Earth, uh, he goes in more into detail uh, in it. But uh, we've got some stuff launching that, that later this year that I've been working on for the past year that I'm uh, pretty excited about. But uh, So, yeah, I mean, you know, I, I have a ton of different interests. Um, you know, weightlifting and, and bodybuilding, obviously, is one of my, my top ones. But um, I love to read as well. I'm, a, I'm, I'm a definitely a huge book lover. Um, so it's really mind, body, and soul, man. You know, when, once I kind of figured that out, that, that whole area of balance and, you know, I'm a huge Bruce Lee fan right <laughs> along with St. Benedict, you know, like, I, I love all of that stuff. Um, and so I think that for today, you know, people are noticing there's, there's an imbalance in their life. And I think that the Catholic faith is, is one of the, the best opportunities people have to be able to find that right balance, which ultimately you can find happiness through. So. Yeah, so I think you bring up a couple of key points. One, obviously, in the, uh, you're obviously up to speed on a lot of that data and statistics. And so um, where we are as a country, right, for the first time, first time in our American history, we're in a post-Christian era where most people don't even identify with anything Christian at all and founded on Judeo-Christian values. Um, the work of Word on Fire, and all the, I mean, we have many other apostolates that are, are working to try to do that, but uh, I think Word on Fire obviously is uh, is the front runner on evangelizing such a large group of folks. So I think part of the challenge too, Jared, is this this disconnect between the, the fully integrated, uh, you know, or body-soul composite, right? And so somehow, um, and this is why I was excited to have this this, this interview with you, because I, I think it speaks to my heart as well, is Somehow people think like you give up so much to become Catholic, right? That somehow uh, it, it's, it's all about the spiritual. It's less about everything else. 
um, that, you know, faith and reason obviously uh, can't coexist. We hear that all the time, faith and science, so they're at odds with each other. Um, and this other aspect, like you're talking about, being somebody who, in, in this term of masculinity, right? So um, I know, uh, obviously, a mutual friend of ours, Deacon Harold Berksivers, um, and, and many of the other men you even had in your, your, your book, Man Up, this concept of what's a true masculine Catholic man, right? That somehow we, uh, there's a misunderstanding of what humility is, that we can't be, uh, we can't be in the gym. Um, we can't do, uh, anything with martial arts. Um, we can't stay in shape. We can't be confident because then that's not necessarily Catholic. Um, so, you know, let's talk a little bit about that piece on the masculinity aspect, because I think that's something that we both, uh, can agree on that. I think, uh, that, a couple of things in the world today that have led to essentially emasculating men, right, is kind of that aggressive feminism that um, uh, where there's a misunderstanding of even the church's teaching on. We have a beautiful theology on feminism and we have a beautiful theology on masculinity. And so what does it mean to be a truly Catholic man uh, from, from your perspective? Yeah, I think I think one of the major cultural instances that has happened in probably the last, if you go back really to maybe the twenties, is they started to limit the spectrum of what it means to be a man, and the same thing with what it means to be a woman. Right? They they made it this very narrow vision of what it means to be masculine or feminine. Um, and so if a guy is perhaps not somebody who's going to go to the gym, who's not somebody that's going to go put on his boxing gloves and get in the ring, that kind of thing, oh, he's not considered masculine, right? Or today, the, the what we call might, might be calling beta male is more of a desire, you know, than, than what maybe we call the alpha, right? Mm -hmm. um, and so unfortunately, because of that limited spectrum, we now have a very limited idea of what we're supposed to be as men. Um, and unfortunately, in a lot of Christian circles, it is much more geared towards the soft um, because you know, sometimes the, the hardness of masculinity is, is somewhat hard to the modern palate uh, today. And um, I think that unfortunately that, that's part of the problem with this gender confusion that's actually happening right now is that we've limited the idea of what it means to be a man and a woman. And so if a girl likes to play with, with, with cars, oh, that means that she must desire to be a boy. That's not true at all, right? And one of the reasons I love the Catholic faith is because in the Catholic faith we have the examples of the saints Right, where you have Therese of Lisieux on one side and you have Joan of Arc on the other. <laughs> right. Both are just as feminine. Both are just as much models of Mary, who is our ultimate vision of, of femininity. But yet they carried out the femininity in a different way. Right? They didn't let go of their femininity. Rather, they embraced it in their personality. Mm -hmm. And I think especially for, for guys, we, we have to reopen that idea that you can be a Francis of Assisi and be just as masculine as... Um, uh, you know, Juan, Don Juan of Austria, who was a, a fighter in the Crusades, you know, like it, all of this stuff is still masculinity and it's still found in Christ, right? Like in Christ, we find the warrior, but then we also find the gentle, you know, person. We, we find the, the lion and the lamb mm -hmm. in Christ. Um, and so if we limit it to either just the lamb or just the lion, uh, we do ourselves a great disservice on understanding who we are as human beings, understanding that each of us are created in a unique way. Um, so not everyone's called to go to the weight room or to be a fighter and that kind of stuff. Just like not everyone's called to, to do more of the soft type of stuff. You know, some guys aren't. And so uh, what we need to do is reopen that spectrum, say, no, like all of this stuff can be found in the Christian faith. We just have to stop limiting it. 
And I, I think that I would I would bring it all the way back to probably Descartes, who, who was one of the first ones that really started to separate the idea of the body and the soul, right? That that the idea of Cartesian Platonic dualism, is what we call it, really, is the idea that the the body is sort of just this shell of who we are. It's not actually who we are, mm-hmm. and so that's why when JP two comes in and starts to say, "No, your body is who you are," right? The Catechism teaches that the body and the soul are so connected that they ought to be considered one. Not that they are, but that they ought to be considered one. So what you do with the soul matters to the body. What you do with the body matters to the soul. And if you're operating an idea of my body is just sort of this shell of who I am, but who I really am is interior, then you start running into these problems. So saying that, well, then I can change my body. Or, well, then the fact that my body has certain appendages or lack thereof means that I can change it, right, and become who I, I wasn't born as. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think that, that a big problem and a big problem with the, the anguish that people are feeling today is that we've limited that spectrum so much um, that that we've unfortunately shamed a lot of people who, oh, you're too hardcore. You're not, you're too, too much, you know, out on this end or, oh, you're too soft or, oh, you're, you know, this, that, and the other. Um, and I say that, you know, we need a balance of all of it. We, we need a balance of all of it. Not, you know, some people are called to be fighters. Some people are not. And so I think that, especially for, for guys today, is to allow them to embrace who they are, not to fear their testosterone, in fact, to show them how to embrace it, um, but then also not to be afraid of, of being the soft, caring person along with it. Um, and so I think that, you know, if we're going to change the culture, we've got to evangelize men. Uh, that's the way I see it, and, and I think that men are naturally leaders. Um, and if we continue to limit that spectrum, we're going to lack a lot of leadership. So, you know, I think, uh, again, I would agree with everything that you said, and I think we do limit ourselves, and we've allowed the culture to kind of redefine, if you will, um, what it means to be truly man and what it means to be truly woman. Um, so let's let's talk a little bit about, uh, you know, your goal when it comes to that, because that, that whole integration, you know, the, the three books that you wrote, um, you always started with the uh, the Ten Commandments, right? Of of, of working out or is it lifting weights? Is um yeah yeah Ten Commandments. But the one that I uh, the the second book that you came out with, right? Is it Man Up? Yes. Right. Is is becoming the new Catholic Renaissance man? And I think that's one of the things that um, I know in my own work in ministry uh, and in dealing whether it be men, uh, women, uh, young adults, or youth. It's trying to light a fire for them to be fully alive, right? So we to, to be who God created them to be because there's only one you, right? And so there's a unique mission in each and every one of our lives. And that needs to be lived out according to all the gifts, the charisms, um, the call that each of us have as, as faithful. So uh, what would you say to, to folks who, um, because I think it was a good point, if you just read or seen your bio and say, man, you know, Jared's a big dude. He's a, he's a, you know, he's into all of this. They may not feel as manly, right? And and I think that's what you're trying to say is to come back and say, no, let's let's recapture what really God intended for us to be as as His children. Um, that it doesn't all look the same, you know. As an example, you said Saint Teresa Lisieux or Joan of Arc, two very beautiful, uh, faithful women, but lived out in a completely different way, you know. Um, so, what would you say to some of the viewers out there that may may be struggling with that call, maybe not really knowing how to um, even approach that, uh, maybe that tug one way culturally, um, but yeah. tug differently from a spiritual perspective. 
I think that um, part of it, of course, number one is prayer, right? I mean, we, we really need to have a relationship with Christ if we're going to understand who we are better. Mm-hmm. Um, and then also, I, I think that we, we need to be aware that our, our God-given interests, the things that we find ourselves drawn to, uh, speak to who we are, right? So I, I tell people, like, you know, one of the most masculine men I've ever met was this 82-year-old Romanian priest that I used to go to confessions with pretty often. I mean, the guy was gentle, soft-spoken, barely, you know, just kind of, you know, walked around slowly and, and all this stuff. But, man, the wisdom that came out of that man and, you know, just the pure masculinity, the ability to speak truth and love, all of that stuff came from him. And I found for myself, here's this, this guy that just weights and boxes and jiu-jitsu and all this stuff. I want to be more like him, you know, like that. <laughs> so it's, it's, it's sort of finding who we are in Jesus, right? It's, it's finding our own interests and recognizing that um, there's nothing that Jesus can't bless, right? Other than sin, right? Other than if that's your interest, then you're going to have a problem. But, you know, for me, I, like just to give an example of my own life, Right, so when I was in college, and I started to have this conversion. I was still very much in love with bodybuilding, even you know the competition side of it and, and powerlifting and all this stuff. But there's some issues in it, right? There's just like there's issues in, in many of the cultural aspects and things that we deal with. So I had to figure out like, well, what does the how does this fit in my Catholic faith? Like, is this something that I just need to let go of and not be part of my life? Um, so I started to research and I started to read a ton and, and fell in love with, you know, the theology of the body, but then also fell in love with a lot of the Greeks and Roman, uh, philosophers who would talk a lot about, you know, a sound mind and a sound body. Um, and so I think that, uh, what we need to encourage people to do is to be very balanced in understanding what these cultural things are, right? So very balanced in recognizing that you're made of a mind, a body, and a soul. And all of us are called to, to fulfill those three things and to find a balance of the three. So the soul, obviously, is the, by far the most important, right? You know, if you lose your soul, you literally lose eternity, right? And so the mind and the body then, what we need to do is, is, is push and encourage and challenge people to embrace those two things. You know, push yourself mentally, read difficult books, find things that are difficult to understand, and push yourself. Right. Like I, I remember the first time I picked up love and responsibility. This was before I had any specifically philosophical or theological education. Oh boy. I understood like 5% of that book. Uh-huh. Yeah. You know? Like it was really, really hard. I, I didn't have any philosophical language to be able to frame and context anything, but I pushed myself. I, I just said, no, I'm going to finish this thing because I know it's important. Um, and after I finished it, I remember kind of this, this intellectual shirt, intellectual surge, this desire for more. You know, and, and then the same thing happens with, with my body. Many times I, I add five pounds to my bench, I want more, right? Like I want to keep pushing myself. I want to keep going. So what I say is find what interests you and push yourself in your mind, your body, and your soul. And I think that when you do that, you will start to become more of who God created you to be because you'll understand more about the world. You'll understand more about God. You'll deepen your relationship with Christ. You'll push yourself physically, which I think for guys in particular, because we're no longer out on farms and ranches and all this kind of stuff, most of us are sitting behind a desk eight hours a day. Mm-hmm. We're, we're embracing the physical part of who we are, which is part of being a man, mm-hmm. right? Working with your hands, doing all these things. You don't have to be a weightlifter. You can be a swimmer. You can be a biker. You can be a sculptor. You can do all these things, but, but do something with your body. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that when, when the mind, the body, and the soul are, are fully challenged and pushed, you, you start to understand your interests. You start to understand who you are in, in, in God's creation. Um, and, and I think that for guys in particular, if they're not being challenged, they automatically become, uh, you know, couch potatoes. Like that's just, <laughs> kind of, it's a, it's a natural thing. I think particularly in guys, whenever they're not challenged, they become weak. Right. Um, and so if they, they are really going to want to, you know, embrace their masculinity in whatever, in whatever way they are, whatever personality they are, those three things are fundamental to really being one. Yeah. No, I did, great point. I mean, um, we can all be tempted to be uh, to sloth and to be lazy, especially from a spiritual perspective. Um, I think we're probably less uh, inclined for the other aspects of our life, really on the, the physical and the mental side, right? I mean, we all have been accustomed to going to school, getting an education, uh, wanting to be fit, playing sports. And so we're willing to discipline ourselves when it comes to that. Uh, but when it comes to the faith walk, which is the most important, right, your soul, your salvation, Ah, like, you know, we'll get to it whenever we can. And so that brings me kind of to the next point. because I want to end with mission um, because I think that'll be a good end to the segment. Let's talk about aestheticism. You did your thesis on that. And what is that for those who may not be familiar with it? And and then how, um, why is that of interest to you? And and what role does it play in, in your life and perhaps the lives of other people you speak to? Yeah, unfortunately, the the word asceticism has become pretty foreign uh, in in a lot of Catholic minds, and and that's really sad because we we have such a long history of ascetics, and some who did some pretty incredible things. I mean, people who you know they wore the hair shirts, they lived in the desert, they you know ate grasshoppers and crickets or whatever just to survive. You know, all these things that that are pretty intense. You know, things that, that the vast majority of us today wouldn't be able to do. Um, but the idea of asceticism, the church actually teaches in the catechism that without self-mortification, uh, which is pretty much what asceticism is, there is no holiness, mm-hmm. right? So unless you're able to mortify the senses, you're able to mortify the body, um, you cannot grow in holiness. So that's why we have Lent, right? Like that's why Advent is supposed to be a time of asceticism as well, mm-hmm. although most of the time it's filled with, with the opposite. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, it gives us a time of year to recognize um, that we need to discipline ourselves. I like to give the definition that asceticism is the idea of disciplining the body in order to train the will, mm-hmm. right? So when you tell yourself physically that I'm going to do a difficult thing, your will then becomes trained to embrace that difficult thing, mm-hmm. right? So, for example, with guys that are perhaps dealing with addictions or things like that, so particularly a lot of guys are dealing with you know, pornography addictions and things like that, mm-hmm. right? it takes asceticism, it takes discipline and other areas of your life in order to help heal that. And part of it is you're training your will to say no to that which you desire not to do. Mm-hmm. Um, and so what asceticism does it awakens the will to understand that it does have some power in choice, mm-hmm. right? That these temptations that are constantly bombarding us, we actually can say no to them. Mm-hmm. And I think that we are much more able and more powerful if we are able to discipline ourselves. Now, I don't want to say that just the body is part of asceticism, right? Thomas Merton, who I, I actually wrote a lot of my, my thesis about his perspective of of asceticism, he would say that actually the idea of silence alone can be ascetic, especially in the modern world. Mm-hmm. I mean, I just challenge anybody listening, go sit for five to 10 minutes alone in pure silence and try to calm the mind. 
good luck. <laughs> right. <laughs> it's tough, man. Like we've got a hundred thousand things going on in our mind at any given time. And we are constantly in contact with people. We constantly are getting text messages, emails, Facebook notifications, all this type of stuff. So to be able to actually sit in a room for five to 10 minutes alone without allowing your mind to just, you know, go everywhere. It's really hard, you know, and, and Merton actually would say that's step number one in asceticism is being able to just be, and that's really hard. But then also the idea of seeking truth, right? So when you seek truth and you come to find things are true, then you have to change your life according to that truth, mm-hmm. right? So for example, in the Catholic Church, right, we believe that contraception is illicit, right? So once you come to that truth, you have to change your life according to it, and that can become very difficult, you know, especially for a couple that perhaps has been using it for a while. You know, a married couple has been using it for a while, and they have to change their lifestyle because of it. Right? Like, that's an ascetic thing, and it, and it helps us change. It helps us to form our our souls and our bodies and our minds around truth. Um, and, but, but what it is, ultimately, is you're disciplining the body in order to train the will. Mm-hmm. Right? Um, so I think that, particularly today, um, in large part, I wrote about this in my thesis as well, is that people desire this stuff. Like people, there's a guy that I love, that Jocko Willick. He's a ex ex Navy SEAL. He's got this one of the most popular podcasts on iTunes, um, and the entire ethos, the entire motto that he runs on is discipline equals freedom, right? And he has got literally millions of people listening to this guy who is constantly challenging people to get up at four thirty in the morning, go hit the weights, <laughs> go do something difficult, go with the sledgehammer and take down a wall, like do difficult things. And people love it, right? And and sadly, a lot of times within within Christian circles, we tend to do the opposite. We accommodate, right? We, we tell people, it's okay, just do the easy thing. Mm-hmm. And I say that, no, people desire difficulty in their life. They desire challenge mm-hmm. in their life. I mean, another guy that I, I actually talked about in my pieces as well is Bruce Lee. You know, this guy that, that came from the other side of the world and introduced an entirely different idea of asceticism into the world, and it's about discipline. It's about personal discipline and, and discipline in our relationships, discipline in the way we think. Um, that that all comes from, I believe, a sincere Catholic modality of life. Um, if you go back through the ages, we have got such a beautiful history of people who were challenging people to do the difficult thing in mind, body, and soul. And I think that um, we have to be aware of that. And I, I think that if we start to really want to evangelize people, this is a very serious route of access into the minds and hearts of, of people who are desiring the good life and recognizing that discipline actually is the good life. You know? Right. No, I think it's such a great point too, Jerry, because I think, you know, what's attractive to people, right, um, isn't necessarily blending in or going along to get along. Right. I, I think that's the norm because that's where people are in our culture today. But it's kind of like, well, what's different about this person? Right. That they can say no to what everybody else is saying yes to. And, you know, discipline saying, well, no, I, I'm not because I'm Catholic. You know, I'm not going to partake in this situation. It's like, well, what is it about, you know, this this lifestyle, this faith? That has transformed your mind, your body, your soul to a point where you can actually say no to the things that everybody else is saying yes to because you're denying. And some of this stuff could be good, right? You're denying a good for a higher good, right? And so this is the part where you're talking about the training of the will 
And what's it's amazing you use somebody like that who's challenging and pushing people to do some crazy things, right? Um, but people want to be challenged and they aspire to that. They're like, man, if I could be that guy, you know, um, I, you think about our own lives in that way. I think about, you know, the, the bodybuilding thing you, the, where you're saying it's not necessarily about the what the culture is telling you about that. It's about striving to meet a certain expectation, a standard that goes beyond you. Right. That goes that, 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 that there's so much. There's a virtue. There's a holiness. There's grace. If we think about it from a sacramental perspective, that there's God's life living in you. That's going to enable you to do supernatural things. That's hence the word supernatural. Right. It gets beyond us. The, the transcendent gets is, is, is working through us so that way we can be something that's attractive. Holiness is attractive. You know, we don't see a lot of it today. And in um, the modern culture. But holiness is definitely attractive because people are going to say, man, what's different about this person? How can they be so peaceful in the midst of so much chaos? How can yes. they say no and, and be so disciplined that they can uh, not be that guy on a Friday night who's a college student who's going to be partying out there, but be in the chapel and adoration, be prayerful and pray for those that are in most need of who don't have anybody to pray for them. These are the things where to be like, man, something's different. And it is freedom because it's freedom to choose the good, right? Freedom yes. to choose the love. Right. Um, over hate and freedom to choose um, other over self. And, you know, those are the things that we as even as a as a culture would say, well, no, that's really what that elevates our mind to something greater than us. Yes. You know? Yeah. And I think that, um, you know, I like to point out the, mar- the martyrs a lot mm-hmm. and that they, they really are kind of the prime example of real freedom. Mm-hmm. They're the ones that literally stared death in the face mm-hmm. and said, bring it. Yeah. You know, like. Like, like, what's more freeing than that? I mean, that that's the one thing literally all of humanity is scared of is death. Yep. And yet these people were able to just smile at it. You know, I mean, like that, that blows my mind. And what I tell people is that it wasn't that last minute decision that allowed them the strength to do that. It was years of, of embracing a relationship with Christ, you know, fasting, doing these things that were difficult so that when the time came, they had the strength to just say yes, to embrace that moment. You know, and it was it was a moment of love mm-hmm. because of who they loved, ultimately being Christ. Right. They were able to say yes to some of the worst tortures mankind can ever come up with. But yet they did it with smiles. I mean, they came, you know, there was Christians in the Coliseum that were seen. I mean, that, that to me is so different in what the world offers today that, that that's freedom and ultimately that's what we desire no it's good i think we we come along the same lines i love the lives of the saints i love focusing on the martyrs whether you're talking about saint ignatius or saint felicity or uh you know saint polycarp on the, in the early church versus even the coptic christians we just experienced in 2015 yeah. where they you know they here they were facing death and yet there was a peace about them there was this freedom about them that says look i know that yeah this life this human life is temporal um, and I'm focused on the eternal life. And I, I think there's something to be said for all of us. Um, going back to a point you talked about this encounter with truth, you know, um, and, and for us being an encounter with he who is true, Jesus Christ. And, you know, when people are faced with that, and I think um, the, the the challenge with today's world is this indifference or just kind of this meh, as uh, Bishop Barron would say, yeah. kind of culture <laughs> mentality where um most people don't want to encounter truth because then you're forced to make a decision, right? That when you do encounter something like contraception or you do encounter with, hey, man, the way you're living is not uh, good for you. Well, then you have to do something with that, right? And so either you're going to totally spew venom at it and, and, and curse it 
you're going to feel convicted and want to um, to change your life and start that whole metanoia process, or you're going to be like completely indifferent. Like, I don't even care. Right. And that to me is kind of the most evil response, the most sad response, because you've had an encounter with truth and you were not even impacted with it, you know, and are not affected by it at all. And it doesn't even, there's no change in your life. Um, and, yeah. and, and so yeah. I think be, encountering that um, and aestheticism, those practices that discipline trains us to um, really get outside of our senses. Think about uh, our, our, our spiritual path. We're going to all experience the dark, the dark night of the senses and then that dark night of the soul. So if we're only going to mass when it feels good or when life's good, what's going to say when we're not, when life's not good? You know, or and the exact opposite, when you're only going to Mass or only praying to God when you're experiencing tragedy in your life. So if it's only at your lowest point or almost at your highest point, what happens when you experience that difficulty in silence? Or it doesn't feel good. Um, now, we, we will probably be more accustomed to it if we're hitting a goal mentally or physically. But spiritually is where it actually counts, right? It's because sin's in the will, uh, just like holiness is in the will. That desire to punch through even when I physically don't feel like I'm capable. Um, and this is why yeah. the sacraments come into play. So let's let's move to the, the last topic, um, Jared, about mission. Because, I mean, that's your, your, your very job today is outreach and mission. And what does that actually mean, especially with us as Catholics? Um, you think about uh, what Pope Francis, you know, uh, has charged us with as being missionary disciples. And a lot of people use these buzzwords. And a lot of people use it as, oh, yeah, I'm a missionary disciple mission, 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 but what does that actually mean in, in the world you live today? Yeah, I go back to, um, you know, the, the fact that the, the church states that the church exists to evangelize. That's the entire point of its existence is to share Jesus Christ with the world. Now, I think that some, a few things have happened culturally that, that we have to be aware of. I mean, we are now at a 25% uh, rate of unaffiliated, so people who, who no longer attach themselves to any religion whatsoever. And within that demographic, you have atheists, agnostics, and, and the man, you know, the, the spiritually indifferent or religiously indifferent. Um, and so I think that what we need to be very aware of is that what, so when we come into a relationship with Jesus, at that moment, we are called to share that relationship. If you're not sharing that relationship, then the relationship isn't ultimately there. I mean, I, like that, that's my challenge to people. It's like, if you're not talking to people about Jesus, then do you really know him? Mm-hmm. Like, do, do you really, because when, when you think about it like this, right, Bishop Barron has said this as well, you know, when you go to, say, the Sistine Chapel, right, you go to the Sistine Chapel and you see this thing, what's the first thing you want to do? We're going to go grab your best friend and say, look at this. Mm-hmm. Like, isn't this just absolutely incredible? Mm-hmm. And so if we've got that sincere relationship with Christ, we should be able to do that. We should be able to go to people and just say, just look at this. Just look how beautiful this is. Look what it's been able to do in my own life. You know, change me in my own life. It's actually given me happiness. Mm-hmm. Yes, there's a few things that I need to change in my life that are difficult to do. But ultimately, those changes are making me more happy. Mm-hmm. You know, and so I think that people need to be challenged today in understanding our modern culture and, and how to evangelize and in large part, that's what we're doing at, at Word on Fire. What we're going to be launching later this year is, is teaching people how to evangelize effectively in a modern culture where there is a lot of religiously indifferent, where there is a lot of staunch atheists, where there is a lot of people who don't see a big difference between Catholicism and any of the Protestant denominations, right? To, to be able to approach those problems in a way 
that's attractive to people. Like, you know, we don't need to be Bible leaders. We don't need people going out telling people they're going to hell. You know, rather we can be people inviting them into a relationship and inviting them into a, a, an encounter with Christ. And, and particularly at Word on Fire, you know, our, our big ethos is to use culture uh, to do so. So using movies and music and books, and but then also to use things like the gym. You know, to use things like the fact that, you know, say you're a lawyer, well, you're at, you know, an office with other lawyers, like use that route of access to start talking to people about this stuff. Yeah. You know, be, be Christ in wherever you are and be willing to say it, you know, be willing, be willing to do something about it. Even if that just means starting something real simple and people ask you, you know, why do you go to church? You know, or, or you ask them, why don't you? That's right. What's, what's, you know, what's, what's stopping you from embracing the idea of going to church? Um, and I think that more and more, you know, our culture is struggling with a lot of things. And I think that more and more we're, we're going to have opportunities for these discussions because um, ultimately we know that, that the more a culture removes Christ from it, the more chaos ensues, mm-hmm. right? And so to be able to show them, like, really what we need to be able to bring back is Christian devotion again mm-hmm. to bring Christ back into the culture, and it's going to heal on so many of the ailments uh, that we've got today. And so, to be able to, uh, uh, you know, sort of go into that route of access of, of common cause uh, with with each other and show them that you know, Christ ultimately is what heals these these problems. Um, we've got really it's a grand moment. You know, it's kind of one of those times of. Uh, you see it throughout the history of the church where we've got this kind of rising tide of people who are leaving in the droves, but then we've got this rising tide of people who are ready to go after them. Yeah. You know, um, so it's a very interesting time in the church right now. As, as John Paul II said, I, the greatest saints of, will be of our time. Yeah. Um, I, I firmly believe that, you know, so, um, so yeah, I, I think that it, once we, we have got to understand that the reason the church exists, the reason you are called to have a relationship with Jesus is to share it. We're all called to evangelize. Yeah, I mean, Vatican II, right? We hear that the church is missionary by our very nature. And um, the other thing I like about that, that, that what came out of that, that, that council was the church never imposes but proposes, right? And so we're proposing, we're pointing to a better way of life, a better, uh, the, the true understanding of freedom and truth uh, in, in Christ. And I think... Going back to that point about uh, you, do you, that love of Christ, and, and if you're not really talking about him, um, you know, I'm a third order Dominican, so, uh, and I know you guys are a bunch of Thomas there too. I know uh, I hear a lot of uh, St. Thomas Aquinas coming out of Bishop Barron, but, you know, for, for Dominicans, one of the primary virtues is knowledge because it leads ultimately to love. You can't love that whom you do not know. And, and for us, uh, I think approaching people in that way is very good because it's, it's really helping people to understand it where they are, of course, but always bringing them to something greater and that greater truth and a greater knowledge of that truth. Because it's like the classical, uh, the philosophical understanding of an argument, right? That the ultimate end of an argument is truth, right? Yeah. And, and, and that, that we're all trying to come to that. So if you're seeking it in a, with a humble heart and openness, then yeah, it's ultimately we know as Catholics, we're going to say, yeah, we know, we know what we have at the banquet. We know what we're inviting you to. And so it's that invitation. Um, it is doing it through the different elements. Um, not in a way that necessarily uh, condones everything that we encounter in culture, but says, you know what, what you're getting here, really what your heart is yearning for is here and, and yeah. kind of pointing them. Um, and then I think the other thing I heard you say too is, um, is, is that dialogue. And, and, and I think we need to ask more questions than give answers at, at this yeah. point when we talk about being missionary, right? Saying, well, what is it really that you're looking for? Um, you talk about the 25% of the non-affiliated, the nuns, um, 
you know, why is that? You know, we, we've had uh, obviously several generations, 40 to 50 years of just bad catechesis, lack of evangelization. We keep hearing that, but okay, well, what are we going to do to fill in the gaps? Because I think we all, um, we don't get to choose the, the, the age that we're born in. We were born in this age for a reason. And so, you know, this, this uh, exhortation to our, our brothers and sisters out there to say, look, you know, God, you were born in the now for a reason, that the time is now, it's very comfortable, it's very convenient to kind of dust off the bookshelf, the book on the shelf, and read about the saints, to read about some of these early martyrs, um, and to read about some of these early evangelists, the St. Dominics of the world, St. Francis of the world, but there's a chapter in God's story for you and I to write, and for those out there to, to go out there and, and really show Christ to the world. And and really and not lose all of a sudden uh, again. Your um, that somehow there's a trade off that once you become Catholic or once you become a disciple that you lose your swag or you lose your cool or you lose your smarts or you lose whatever it is that that, that you're struggling with. But actually, it becomes more into its fullness, if you will. Yeah, well, I think that you know one of the uh, most amazing things I love about Bishop Barron is his intelligent arguments that he consistently gives. Yeah. you know, he's able to go into the culture and show. You know, we're not a bunch of, like, leave reason behind people. We're actually extremely reasonable, and we stand on the shoulders of some of the most intellectual giants in all of human history. Yep. You know, and we can use those same arguments as Chesterton and Aquinas and, uh, you know, Augustine Augustine. and the like, and, and stand on all of those guys' shoulders and preach the truth, you know, intelligently and show we have a case for why we believe. What I love about the church is that it pushes us to live intensely, yeah. right? It pushes us to love intensely. It pushes us, you know, you want to you wanna start studying this thing? It's a deep well, my friend. <laughs> yeah. Keep going. Keep going. Keep going. Go deeper. Go deeper, right? You want to lift weights? Lift weights, man. Like, go lift them hard. You want to be a martial artist? Go be a great martial artist. Like, you want to be a lawyer? Go be the best possible lawyer you can be. It's, it's not about, you know, relinquishing the human aspect. It's actually about building it up. Yeah. And I think that the, the example of Mary in particular is an unbelievable example of what God desires for us. It's, it's elevating the human mystery. You know, I mean, it's, it's making us this incredible thing. Um, and the church pushes that. And I think that in terms of mission and evangelization and all of that, like we, we have got to, to um, tell people of that, that intense light that really the church offers. Um, you know, it, while these things might, might be bright and shiny and be very attractive, they're not ultimately going to make you happy. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, in the words of, of, of Augustine, of, you know, your restless heart is seeking something elsewhere. Mm-hmm. And in this place, we're able to embrace the things that, that are beautiful in a much deeper and more profound way. Yeah, no, that's great. Now, uh, we'll have, uh, for all the, the men out there that are watching, um, you know, Jared is going to be, we're going to be blessed to uh, have him out here for a men's conference on July 28th um, and uh, be able to, to share the stage with my brother Jared. But what can, uh, what can our, our male viewers uh, expect from you, Jared, when you, uh, when you uh, bless us with your presence in the Central Valley here in Northern California? Yeah, you know, in large part, I'm going to talk about the, some of the cultural things that we're dealing with as men. Um, you know, there's some of the really harrowing statistics of fatherless homes and, and the like that many of them have probably seen. I want to go to really the foundation of a lot of that and, and talk about how we can attack those things, you know, how we can change it by living our own lives in a certain way. Uh, but then I also want to talk about, you know, the mind, body, and soul balance, man. 
really push people to to better understand what that means, to better understand how they can go after it, um, and and ultimately to to live an intensely fierce life in Jesus. Yeah. Well, good. I'm excited to have you. Um, I, I would add to not only that we're pushed to live intensely, but I would say intentionally, right? So yeah. as Catholics, uh, everything that we do is with with a specific intention in mind, and I think. The more we can show people that, the more that we can witness to that, the more that we can spread that love that we say and profess we have, um, the more that we can start to change a culture of darkness and a death into a culture of life and of light. So, um, Jared, how can people get a hold of you, uh, to find you on uh, social media? Um, what, what are the things that are cooking there that we can kind of point our viewers to? Yeah, if you're on uh, Instagram is one of my, my main ones. It's just at Jared Zimmer. Uh, same thing as my Twitter handle. Um, and then same thing on Facebook. It's all just at Jared Zimmer. There must not, not be a lot of Jared Zimmerers out there. So, uh, <laughs> so just look that up. Um, you can also find a lot of my, my articles and, and writings and things like that at wordfire.org. Uh, be sure to keep an eye out for some of the stuff that we're, we're launching later this year. Um, and then if you need any of my books, you can go on Amazon and find them all in there. All right. Awesome. Well, hey, brother, I appreciate the time um, this morning. I uh, appreciate your insight on all three of those things that are, are very relevant to today, um, not just for uh, the men as we talk about masculinity, but I think the thing that you highlighted really at the end of this conversation was, uh, as you bring it to the men's conference, this issue with um, the fatherlessness, right, the father factor. And so I, I thank you for your time and bringing that to us, and uh, I wish you and your family uh, you know, a blessed rest of 2018. Yeah, my pleasure, man. Good to see you. All right, good to see you.